Hello and welcome to episode 9 of ABB Decoded, the podcast that tries to press pause on our fast-moving lives and shine a light on the technology and trends that are reshaping our world. I'm your host, Anthony Rowlinson, and in this episode we're diving into our back pages, quite literally in fact, as we're speaking to Andy Mogelstu, who's chief editor of ABB Review, ABB's corporate technical journal. ABB Review, which has just published its latest issue themed around assets and connectivity, is a rather special title. It has been continuously in print since 1914 and to this day stays true to its original mantra of being by engineers for engineers. It's a highly respected quarterly publication that manages to encompass the whole of ABB's universe through its pages and it occupies a unique position within the company's portfolio as it's a physical embodiment of ABB's values, as well as being a shop window for our technology. And while it might seem unusual that a company which is helping to drive progress in digital industry remains committed to a title firmly rooted in print, there are many benefits associated with the hard copy format that remain as relevant today as they always have. There's no one better to explain this than Andy Mogelster himself, who's an engineer by training and who has been with ABB Review for 17 years, 11 of them as chief editor. And he joins us now to leaf through the pages. Okay, I'm Andy Mogelstu, and I'm the chief editor of AUB Review. AUB Review is the uh, corporate technical journal of the AUB Group. So we publish four times a year in five languages. And we have a a distribution run of somewhere around 50,000 copies in all languages combined. The first issue was in 1914. So seven years ago, we celebrated the centenary. So we're 107 years old now, which I think by corporate standards, as far as I know, there is no other corporate publication that is older. So, of course, maybe some some of the big newspapers like The Times have been around for two to 300 years. But, you know, in terms of a corporate publication, I wasn't able to find any that's been around for longer. And even some journals, some magazines such as Reader's Digest have been started in the 1920s. So we were there before them. So how and why was ABB Review launched? ABB Review started actually as a Brown Bovary review, the BBC Review, which, you know, BBC was one of the two companies that later merged to form ABB. So that's where the BB and the ABB comes from. And they launched it in 1914 to inform their customers about new products, about ongoing technological developments and about projects and so on. And that's basically more or less what we still do today. Why do you think the title has been in print for so long and how has it managed to be successful for more than a century, which is remarkable? I think the explanation is that in ABB, we are a company who care deeply about technology. I think that's the reason we come to work every day. That's the reason, that's what keeps us going and that's what people really genuinely care about. And of course, at the end of the day, you've got to check that the balance sheet is okay you know you've got the money's got to come from somewhere and all these things matter we are a commercial company of course but i think what really motivates us is technology so i think it's natural that we should want to have that we should have a need for an organ that expresses a journal that expresses what we do what we stand for what we care about and that's pretty much what abb review represents it's almost like a piece of abb that you can hold in your hands as a tangible thing Yes, that's well said, yes. Okay, and if I understand correctly, ABB Review describes itself as by engineers for engineers. Is that true? It's absolutely true. For example, recently I was chatting with one of our authors and he was telling me he was actually sitting in a porter cabin 
somewhere in Egypt with grease still on his hands. That's the type of people who sometimes get to write our articles. They're people who are really out there on the front or in the salt mine doing the heavy lifting that makes AOB possible as a company. And so everything they say is absolutely first-hand, is absolutely genuine. And that's the by engineers. And of course, the four engineers is the same. The people we write for are engineers in the customer organization who understand the technology, who share our passion for technology. So we, we speak about technology very frankly, very openly, very objectively. And obviously that informs the tone of ABB Review because it's not a lightweight layman's read, is it? It's very much pitched at the expert, isn't it? Or to those with specialist technical knowledge. I try to say that articles should be readable by somebody with a reasonable understanding of engineering or technology, but who is not an expert in that field. So, for example, if you have an article about robotics, it shouldn't be understandable only to robotics specialists. It should be understandable to people who do automation systems, who do power distribution, who do all sorts of other things within the company or within engineering in general. So the tone is quite technical, but it shouldn't be too specialised. And that's an interesting point for you as the editor-in-chief, because you're an engineer by training, but obviously you work as a journalist. So how have you managed to combine those two disciplines? My very first encounter with AUB was when I joined AUB for a summer internship when I was still at university. And my first job was with AUB. And uh, I actually later left AUB. I went to work somewhere else and then I came back to AUB. So I think AUB has been part of my career. It's been the central part of my career. And uh, for the first couple of years, I was an engineer. And later on, I moved into into the AOB review first in an, in an assistant role and then later I became chief editor. And I think it's an ideal combination because I've always had a passion for writing. I've enjoyed writing about things. I've enjoyed explaining things. And I've enjoyed doing things. And I think AOB review is a place where it all comes together so I can talk about things that, that interest me. Okay. And in terms of the process of putting the issue together, could you tell us a bit about how you go about it? You know, from the first sketch of what's going to be in the next issue to the commissioning process, design, layout, all those aspects of print production that are fascinating. The birth of an issue, if you like. So the goal of an issue is that we should have something in there for everybody, for all, all the different types of readers we have. So I try to avoid an issue becoming too one-sided. And so from the beginning, I have to try to balance that. I don't want too much of the same, but I, should, I like to have some sort of commonality. So there is some, each issue has a topic, an overall topic. So all the articles or most of the articles somehow connect on some level. So the balancing act is finding articles that connect without actually repeating themselves and saying the same thing over and over again. And quite often when you actually ask people to write, you never know what they're going to write. It's always a bit of a risk when you ask somebody to write an article and you may have a quite clear idea what they're going to do and they end up doing something totally different. And then you have to work with that or work from that. So quite often I don't really know in which direction an issue is heading until I start seeing first manuscripts, sometimes until I don't, I start seeing the first layout, until I start seeing things come together. And so... I have to sometimes massage things as they go along to make sure they're still on topic, to make sure we're not repeating ourselves, to make sure, you know, maybe two people independently of one another think they're both extremely clever and are saying exactly the same thing. All right, that's quite a tricky challenge to master, especially if you're commissioning engineers who are not writers first and foremost. That's not to say they're not talented writers, but they're not trained as journalists and used to hitting written deadlines in a way that a newspaper journalist would be. So is that a particular challenge? 
Well, I think that maybe engineers are not used to writing to deadlines, but they're used to working to deadlines. So I think they understand the concept of a deadline. I mean, what sometimes happens is, of course, that writing something tends to take second place to their day job, so to say. So sometimes people do miss deadlines, so I have to push and remind people. But in terms of the quality of the output, of course, you're right that engineers are not always born writers. But I'm very fortunate that we have a very good team of editors, of in-house editors, who do an excellent job in uh, in working with the authors and turning those articles into the sort of very high-quality articles that our readers expect. Could you explain a little bit about that process, the internal editing and design process that goes into bringing an edition of ABB Review together? So the input we get can be extremely varied. You know, some Some of our writers are very good writers and what you get is just so perfect that you just need to make a tweak here and rewrite a sentence there and then it's good to go. And uh, sometimes you get authors who from the beginning say, well, I'm not a writer, I can't write, I don't want to write. And then we have to do a lot of uh, help with them, you know, so quite often we end up interviewing them uh, or they send us some documentation and we read that and we end up ghostwriting the articles. Anything is possible. We get, you know, we get the full range from very experienced, very good writers to writers who need a lot of, of assistance. I enjoy all of those different classes, types of writers, because each one has their own challenges. And sometimes it can be actually interesting to, to, to help people write because you often discover new things. They discover new things that they thought. You know, I've often talked to people and quite, you know, we were talking about a different topic and they said, well, and by the way, this and this happened. And I said, well, that's amazing. Why don't we write about this rather than the other topic? And they said, well, that's not interesting. Nobody cares. And I have to explain to them, well, it is interesting. That's, that's fascinating. Let's make that the topic of our next article. In fact, it's happened in the past that entire business opportunities have opened because we wrote about them, that there was actually one solution which was just practiced very locally by a very small team of people, and they thought it was a local solution that they used for their own problems. And as a result of the publication, a lot of other people started taking notice and saying, well, we want the same thing, and it actually grew into a, into a much bigger business. It's amazing that a print title can still have that kind of influence in the digital age, isn't it? That something that's written and printed can still reach people and connect with them in that way. Uh, yes, yes. I think that, of course, we're, we're, we're living in a digital age and people are expecting more and more information to be fed to them digitally. I think that it's quite easy to imagine that print as a medium is no longer relevant. And yet I hear, for example, from salespeople who say they go to see a customer and the first thing they do is they put a copy of every review on the table and say, look at this, you should take a look at this, it's interesting, this might be of relevance to you. And I think you can't really do that with, with, with an electronic version. You can't say, well, can you please download this PDF and we can discuss it. It's not the same, it doesn't have the same effect. And that physical quality, obviously, that's tied very closely to the design and production of the title. So how do you prioritise that? What's the design and production process? And do you have your own in-house team? We do. So it's actually an external agency who, who does the artwork for us. And so we have to explain to them what we want and then they make some suggestions and then it goes to and, for, to and fro. And I think I've always been happy with what we got in the end. And I think the whole branding and the whole quality and the material, they're all sort of slightly better above average uh, so that they're actually designed to make a good impression to look very serious to look 
like an authoritative source, and I think I think it does. And presumably, you have to source all the high quality imagery from internally within ABB. Is that part of the process? Ideally, I like to have genuine pictures that actually show the real project. So somebody, you know, that's pictures actually taken in the field, showing actual things in the field. Although, of course, if you just ask somebody who's out in the field to take a picture, they often end up using their mobile phone. You don't get the same sort of quality as you would expect that a professional photographer would produce. So we have a mix. That, you know, we have the actual pictures to show what's going on as documentation. And I, I think that it's very important for the reader to see actual genuine pictures of real of the real project rather than some some placeholder pictures that we pretend are the real thing. I, I think it's a very important part of our of our openness of our objectivity. But of course, sometimes you can't get those pictures. Of course, they just don't exist, or there aren't any pictures because, for example, you're describing a software tool or a service package which you can't actually go out and photograph because it isn't physically there. So then you have to find some pictures that convey the overall the overall gesture or the overall spirit of what you're doing. It's interesting that you've mentioned a couple of times the seriousness of ABB Review and its authority. Do you feel a sense of responsibility to the title and to the company in your position as chief editor? Do you feel like you have to honour the title in a way? Absolutely. I think a lot of the... the I hear time and time again when I meet customers, for example, that they often tell me how much they appreciate getting AB review, how how important it is to them, and how they trust what they read. And I've also know actually people inside AVB who tell me they first heard about AVB because they got a copy when they were at university. And that actually moved them to later apply for a job and to get a job at AVB. So it, it's very important, I think, that we come across as being a serious, reliable, trustworthy source and almost scientifically so. So everything we say, I feel, has to be not only true but has to be provably true. So we, you know, if necessary, if something isn't entirely clear whether or not where that comes from, we would provide a source as you would expect in a scientific publication. And also if I look back at this history, this has been around for over 100 years and all the time people have upheld that. So I see myself in a tradition of people who are upholding this tradition and, and keeping it going. And you were speaking just then about the values that you attach to ABB Review. They're very much values that ABB attaches to itself as a company and its products, aren't they? That's not just true of our products. I think that's true of our people. Quite often when I talk to customers, they tell me ABB engineers, ABB field technicians are people who go out and actually fix problems. They don't first go out and ask a superior for permission. They, they go and do things first. So I think it's part of the, of the overall ABB corporate culture is part of our company culture that that we want to be trustworthy that we are trustworthy that we are truthful in what we do that we are honest that we are straightforward and i think ABB review reflects that along with the rest of the company now just turning the clock back a little bit how did you get the job you referred to it earlier but could you explain to us how you actually went from being an engineer to editing the title my first uh job at AUB was with AUB semiconductors. I was a tester. I tested semiconductors. I basically designed tests and I executed tests and I actually had a lot of fun blowing stuff up. And after three years of that, I decided to to quit AUB and to go back to university and to do my PhD. And I did my PhD on, on software reliability and software testing, which right now is, is a very big topic for AVB, especially when you look at things like 
artificial intelligence, when you look at things like autonomous systems, a large part of autonomous systems is trust. How can you trust that this autonomous system will take the right decision, that it won't mess up? So testing is an important part of that, and also understanding is an important part of that. So I think I was right on topic back then, even though at that time nobody really was as interested as they are now. And then when that came to a close, I was looking for a job, and actually a friend of mine who was working with a review at the time said, well, why don't you come in and see if you'd like to work here? And I said, well, I don't actually know very much about writing. I enjoy writing, but this is more my hobby. I've never felt myself as a professional writer. But she said, well, why don't you come in and try? And and they, I came in and they gave me a test article to do, a test article to edit. And apparently I did such a good job that they hired me. Okay, and how long ago was that? That was in uh, 2004, so it's uh, 17 years now. And how swiftly did you become chief editor? That took me another another six years. So you've been doing that for 11 years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I have to say that I'm extreme. I have a I'm very, I feel a debt of gratitude to the people who were there at that time, the people who mentored me, and also the people who, who you know, who trusted me, who believed in me. And I, I met some really great people, many of them who've retired now, and I think I learned from them. I try to pass that on to other people. And even after more than a decade in your current role, do you find that there's always something new to cover or to write about? I do. And I think AWB is an amazing company in that respect because I always think I've seen everything now. I know all the departments. I know all the businesses. I've seen everybody. I almost know everybody. And then suddenly I get an email from somebody saying, well, would this be a suitable topic? And I think, huh, what's this? Do we do this? <laughs> is this part of AUB? And it is. I think there's never been an issue where I haven't learned at least something myself that I didn't know. And presumably that's part of the buzz with publishing, because if you feel you're learning something new and you can pass it on, then you can be pretty sure that your readers will also have that experience. Do you find that's part of the satisfaction? Absolutely, absolutely. I feel quite often the ultimate test is, you know, if you want to know, is this interesting or not? Is it worth writing about or not? The test is, do you think it's interesting? Of course, that's not 100% true. Sometimes things are interesting without you noticing they are interesting. But quite often, you know, you personally have a good gut feeling what works and what doesn't. And do you have an editorial committee to make those decisions or are you largely autonomous? So I, I do. I have, on the one hand, I have the... Um, the various CTOs, the chief technology officers of the different business areas who advise me regularly. So if there's something coming up that they think ought to be covered, they let me know. And uh, so I, I, I meet with them on a regular basis, or at least I stay in contact by email, and they advise me and push me in certain directions. And then I have an editorial board who actually represent people from across the company, so from all different sorts of areas and who bring in sort of more the outsider reader perspective and represent that. So I have to listen to both groups. But at the end of the day, quite often I have to improvise anyway because sometimes things don't come as you expect or some, something unexpected happens and then I, I'm left by myself. So at the end of the day, I'm the one who takes the decisions when they need to be taken. Can I ask you where there is pleasure and pain in editing ABB Review? What are the good bits and what are the bad bits? I think the best bit is the day a fresh issue comes out and you can actually hold it in your hand and look at it and see, we did this, I did this, we did this, as a team we did this, and it's good and it was worth the effort. And then all of a sudden everything is forgotten and everything is forgiven. And the other beautiful thing is when people write to you or talk to you and say, I love this and this article, and sometimes this happens even 
even months, even years later, people say, do you remember this and this article that came out back then? That was really great. We enjoyed that. And and, and, and that shows that these things have, have a longer shelf life than you sometimes think, that people, at least in people's minds, they remember certain things that were done, certain things that were said, sometimes certain illustrations even, certain... And and come back to that. So it shows, you know, we're creating something that has some lasting value. It's not something read today, thrown away tomorrow. And I suppose it's an amazing historical record as well. There must be a tremendous archive. There is. There is an archive that goes all the way back to the first issue. And you'd be surprised how often people come and say they would like to go to the archive because they want to do some research. So quite often historians who are researching a topic will go to the archive to look up what they can find on that topic. And sometimes even people, you know, field engineers who have to go and service an installation or are planning to update an installation, they they want to find out what was actually said about this when it was new. And that's maybe the starting point of their research, of their planning. So it's the archive we have is not just a, a dusty place and nobody knows about it. It's something that has an, an active role in, in in the way we go forward. Do you ever find yourself getting lost in there? Absolutely, absolutely. There's there's so so much material there. I just sometimes, you know, it falls open at a random page, and I think, wow, did we actually do this? Is this actually real? You know, sometimes it's it's. Uh, we I think AUB as a company, we often forget all the things that we no longer do. You know, there was a time that we made fridges and ovens. That you know, or for example, we were the first people to make artificial diamonds, for example. We pioneered liquid crystal display, for example, all things that we no longer do, but I think at that, that at that time were very important. And I think this is a is a tribute to the inventiveness and the and the incredible power of innovation that we have. The power of innovation that we have in this company and the ability to always reinvent ourselves and find a new a new thing. And I think that's what's happening today basically when we're maybe moving away slightly from the nuts and bolts and iron and steel and copper and moving more towards the software and the artificial intelligence. And uh, I think when that happens, we need to sometimes look back and say it's not the first time that we had to reinvent ourselves and uh, we can do it. You also asked about what's negative, what's the hurt. Sometimes, you know, you have deadlines looming and you see there are still so many things left to be done. There are still so many edits to be made and corrections to be made and things that need to be checked and people you need to chase for approvals or to provide some better material and so on. Quite often you end up burning the midnight oil, you end up, uh, you know, eating your lunch over your computer, eating your dinner over your computer, and uh, sometimes my girlfriend uh, has to have a lot of patience with me over that. And uh, But I think when you finally see the issue, hold it in your hand, all that is forgiven and forgotten. And I would imagine that in your position, you get a really very particular perspective on ABB. So a breadth, obviously, but then a real sense of where the company has come from and what's behind it. I think so. Most people who work for ABB, they have their own area in which they work. So they're experts in their area. They, they look after a particular project. They look after a particular product. They look after a particular business. But I think very few people actually have an understanding of how broad AUB is and how, how vast we are, of the vast number of areas in which we are active and the and the range of projects, the range of products, the range of competences and abilities that we're in. And I think sometimes it can be quite humbling to actually step back and realise 
you know, this is all one company, this is all one group. We do all these things. And I, I think ABB Review is maybe not the only place where that comes together, but it's one of the few visible places where that comes together. And you mentioned ABB's ability to reinvent itself and move in a digital direction now. And yet ABB Review is deliberately analogue. Print is a very well-established and some would even say old-fashioned medium. So does ABB Review feel like an anomaly or is it a tribute to ABB in a way that it can preserve a print title in a digital age? I think that's correct. I think it is a tribute to ABB that we can do this, that we do do this. And as I mentioned previously, there it's not just about having print for the sake of print. There are certain advantages in print, in, for example, in reaching out to customers, in presenting things to customers, in having ABB review on the table as a conversation starter when you know when a salesperson, when a sales representative goes and sees a customer putting AUB review on the table is a good way to to start a conversation, to raise awareness of a topic. And uh, I think that is very valuable because many, even many people in the businesses are not aware of how broad the company is. So quite often they're interested in selling their particular product, their particular solution, and they don't realise ABB also has other solutions that might be beneficial to the customer in another area. And as such, it is important to show that to the customer. And I think having a print edition on the table makes it easier to do that. Whereas when you go online, you tend to look for the things, you search for the things that you're looking for, and you find what you're looking for. Whereas with a print edition, you don't always find what you're looking for, but you find what there is, which is something different. And having said that, I don't think it's accurate to say we are a print-only edition. Of course, print is an important part of what we do, but there is an electronic version, there is an online version, and that is growing in popularity, and I think it will continue to grow. I think that is the direction in which we're heading. And, I mean, I, I don't feel that we should ever at least not in the foreseeable future, uh, do away with a print edition. But I think we have to be prepared for a shift and people will consume the electronic version more in future. But I don't really feel that we're an anomaly there. I just feel we're providing a service. We're providing a service that the reader, that the customer, and also that AUB needs in, in that area. And I think, you know, we like to talk about ABB as being a digital company. And of course we are, but that's just a level on top. You know, we're still, all the things we used to do, we still do those. We haven't stopped doing those. And we're not planning to stop making the things we used to make. So the digital is a layer on top. It just makes them more usable. It makes them more connected. It makes them more, it makes them more digital. But it doesn't replace the analogue stuff underneath. That's a really nice way of putting it. And it would be remiss of me not to ask you about the current issue, which I believe has just hit the newsstands. Yes, that's correct. So the present issue has a topic that is very much what we've just been talking about. It's about machines meet digital, so about how machines and digital work together. And an important part of that is a digital twin. So the digital twin is really, it's a way how we handle information, how we deal with information and how we use information. And I think you have to see that in the development, in the in the history of how technology emerged. So at some point we had automation systems and automation systems, the early automation systems were really quite 
simple. They were they just did simple tasks. And at some point, we started becoming having more powerful computing power, and we started collecting data digitally and using that data for certain very limited tasks. And and now, as we're entering the fourth industrial revolution, we're we're not actually inventing data. The data is there. We're not inventing digitalization. The digital component is there. We're not inventing computers. The computers are there. But we're bringing them together in a new way. We're making them more connected and we're making them more actionable. And so it's not really about having a computer. It's not really about having a digital sensor, but it's about what do you do with that. And I think the digital twin is really a format in which you can add some context to that information. So that context makes it actionable. It makes it meaningful. We used to talk about um, data being marooned in the field. So we used to collect all this data, but then we didn't use it, or we only used a very small part of it. So today we're really moving towards not necessarily creating more data, but making using the data in a, in a more... In, in a more intelligent way, in a more actionable way, to actually increase, to create new business opportunities or to create more productivity or to reduce waste or other sorts of things that are objectives for, for a business. So if somebody hears this podcast and thinks, I really need to get hold of a copy of ABB Review, how do they go about doing that? We have a website, abb.com slash ABB Review, that is written as one word, so no spaces, no underscores. And on that webpage, you can download, you can read some of the recent articles, and you can also search the archive for older issues going all the way back to the beginning. And if you want to print, if you want to subscribe to the print edition, there is also a subscription field there. And I think yes, yeah, the best place to start if you want to know more about ABB Review. One final question: You talked a bit about gut feeling. How do you know when an issue is a good one? What feeling do you get? My personal feeling is that when things come together well, so I feel we've covered all the aspects we wanted to cover and we've said everything we wanted to say and we've said it in the right way. So I, I don't feel we've overstated anything. I, I don't feel we're over-pushing anything or we're struggling to make a point that isn't really there. But the issue comes together in a natural way. It reads naturally. It fits together naturally. And it's overall, it, as, as a holistic product, all parts of it contribute and come together very well. And I think typically that's the sort of feedback we get. So people notice that and do mention it. And uh, talking about feedback, it's quite interesting that the most common complaint I get, so the most common reader complaint when I get an email from a reader is, I haven't received my copy yet. So that shows that ABB Review is something people know is going to come out and they actually look forward to getting it. You know, I, I don't think people say that about something they're not, they're not really looking forward to, that they're not really, they don't really appreciate. And that's the ultimate compliment. Andy, thanks so much for taking the time to talk us through the experience of editing ABB Review and explain what it is that makes the title so special. And if you've enjoyed listening to Andy's insights into this unique branch of ABB's activities, why not like, share or subscribe to ABB Decoded wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.